We live in a time when our generation loves the pursuit of authenticity. Being authentic is a big deal. It's appealing, it's something we strive for, and yet in, in, a, in a time in history when people like what is authentic, on another side of this generation, we continue to, to grow in pretending. There's a side of us that while we appreciate authenticity, on the other side, we just keep going in pretending, putting faces, making sure things look a certain way, look good and fine, when in reality things may not be going well. Uh, the reality is that our generation, as much as we value, quote, authenticity, reality is that we allow pretending to go unchecked. In the passage of Scripture that we are looking at this morning, the, the, the category of pretending shows up early on in the, in the chapter. And we will see how great and tragic consequences it has when we allow pretending to go on, to go on unchecked. This morning, we're going to look at the pretense of sin, and I invite you to open God's Word to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. I'll be reading the entire chapter. It has 39 verses. There are two parts, two stories combined in this chapter that are linked together, and we need to listen to them both as one unit. Listen to God's Word as we see the tragic consequences of pretense. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar uh, come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was laying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, 
Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called a young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother's Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant had sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark what when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth. 
and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled. And the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said. So it has come about. And as soon as all he had finished speaking, behold, the king's son came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was, three year, was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Amen. This is the word of God. Would you join me? in praying and asking God to help me preach this word and help us listen uh, to this word preach. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, you have revealed this word to us. It's a tragic story of how sin has awful consequences. Father, we pray that you would help me preach this word as you have intended And that we would hear it and hear it as a warning for our hearts. I pray that you would help us, Father, be edified, be warned, be equipped. We pray this, Father, in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen. This is the second time in the book of 2 Samuel where I have to say I would never choose to preach this passage. If I was not committed to go through preaching through the whole book. Of Second Samuel. It's not a passage uh, you want to read. It's not a passage you want to preach. And yet it's a passage that the Word of God inspired to be written for us. Uh, why would this passage be written? Why would this passage be recorded in Scripture for us? Well, there's a number of lessons it teaches us. But perhaps the, the, the primary lesson this chapter wants to, to engrave on our hearts is that the pretense of sin has tragic consequences. The pretense of sin has tragic consequences. When we, when we take the path of pretending, uh, for any of us, when we take the path of pretending, Presenting the reality be something different than what is actually going on in our hearts. We are on a path that is extremely dangerous. And we are going on a path that can have very tragic consequences. So let's look, listen and see how these two parts of the, the chapter we've read, these two stories, 
uh, combine together to, to convince us that the pretense of sin has tragic consequences. In the first part, we see the story of Amnon and, and Tamar. And what, what we see in this part of, in this first story, uh, is that selfish love hurts others, then turns to hatred. Selfish love hurts others, then turns to hatred. We see this in verses 1 through 22. Uh, this story starts off as potentially being a love story. If, if we were to just read the first few verses, the first verse or two of this chapter, it may seem like we're about to enter into a, a love story. But it goes in the wrong direction very, very quickly. Amnon's, quote, love affects him greatly enough. So great that one of his friends, Jonadab, notices that something's wrong with Amnon. And then Jonadab, as a good friend, who notices the, the demeanor of Amnon and the change in his demeanor, asks him, what's wrong with you? What's, what's going on with you? And as Amnon responds, he says, I love Tamar. So far, things seem to be so innocent. Jonadab's advice is heading in the wrong direction as soon as he suggests to Amnon to pretend to be ill. There's nothing true and genuine in the rest of the story. It's all a pretense. So Amnon took the advice of Jonadab and pretended to be ill in the story in order to get what he wants. As it turns out, it's not only physical illness that he pretends about, even his so-called love turns out to be fake. A pretense story. Amnon is the man who confuses lust and desire with love. When Jonadab asked him, Am, uh, Am, Amnon, what's wrong with him? Amnon said in verse 4, I love Tamar. As it turns out, he didn't love Tamar. He wanted Tamar. And that's a big difference. He lusted after Tamar. He didn't love her. He confused desire and lust with love and gave the impression to others that he loved Tamar, that he was in love with Tamar. Actually, what goes in the name of love in this chapter is actually selfish gratification of sinful desires. Oh, friends, and let me speak here especially to our youth, to our students, to our single adults. Being infatuated is not the same as truly loving someone. 
being infatuated is not the same as truly loving someone. Friends, let us not confuse love with desire and lust. Amnon was sick with frustration of not getting what he lusted for. That's not being in love. That's not being tormented with love. He was tormented with not getting what he lusted after. That's being in bondage to selfish love, uh, to selfish lust, not being in love. So, dear students and single adults, don't fall for someone else's infatuation of you. Don't fall for someone else's infatuation of you. Some parents are already nudging their youth. Did you hear that? Yes, let me say that again. Don't fall for someone else's infatuation of you. Just because someone else desires you or has desires for you or likes you does not mean that he or she is in love with you. It could be, it could be simply infatuation. It could be simply purely sinful lust camouflaged as, quote, love. It's February. In just a few days, our society will celebrate Valentine's Day. Our society, our culture has a very distorted view of love. And Amnon's presentation to his buddy Jonadab goes on as love these days. As soon as the infatuation wears off, you're left with nothing. Same thing goes for us and for you when you have desires for someone else. Ask yourself, is it truly a, a desire to love or simply to satisfy your lust? Let's not confuse desire with love. Let's not confuse lust with love, either in being the recipients of it or being the givers of it. Amnon confused it. Amnon presented lust, selfish love, selfish desire with love. But Amnon also, not only did he confuse that and presented the situation wrongly in a distorted way to his buddy Jonadab, but he was also listening to wrong advice. Jonadab is described here as a very crafty man. Actually, the Hebrew word for crafty here is wise. He was a very wise man, but he used his wisdom in this case in the wrong direction. Here, Jonadab's wisdom is used to point his friend in the direction that was opposite of what God's word said. Wise men who use their wisdom to direct their friends to go opposite of what God's word says. This character by the name of Jonadab had the opportunity 
if he had used his wisdom well according to God's standards, he had the opportunity to stop this mess. If he had just told Amnon that Tamar is his half-sister and there's no way God would approve of a romantic relationship with his half-sister. It was forbidden in God's law. Deuteronomy 27, 22, Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Leviticus 20, 17, If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father, or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace. And they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. Death penalty. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. Jonadab is wise. He's very wise. But he's using his wisdom to go and, and advise his friend opposite of what God's law says. His wisdom comes not from God's word, but from knowing how to get what you want. This is Jonadab's wisdom. He's very wise in helping his friend devise a plan to get what he really wants. Jonadab is a lesson for us, for all of us, in a number of ways. We can think that we are wise when we know how to get what we want. The world will call that wisdom. But that is not God's wisdom. And any wisdom that opposes what God says, even if it helps you get what you want, is not wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. Jodanab is also a lesson for us, particularly to consider who are the friends that we listen to? Whose counsel do we seek? Are the people that we go out to reach out for counsel, are they men and women who actually know God's word and seek to guide us in compliance, in accordance with God's word, or do they just help us get what we want, regardless of whether or not it matches with what God has to say? Friends, seek counsel from men and women who fear God, from men and women who know God's word, and will counsel you in his word, even if it means confronting you and encouraging you to stop in your tracks. Are there people that you are looking out for counsel or direction or advice who are ignorant of God's word or just flat out despise God's word? Run away from them. Run away. What's sad about Jonadab is that he was Amnon's cousin. He was the son of Shimea, David's brother. That made Jonadab a family member. This means that even family members may lead us toward wicked directions. Just because they're family members does not mean that they will lead us rightly in God's ways. Sometimes we may listen to counsel from other people around us who are family because they're family. Friends, just because they're family does not mean 
that they are suited to give you wise counsel according to God's ways. Ask yourself, are even my family members, do they know the Lord? Do they give me counsel according to the word of the Lord? And don't listen even to family counsel if that counsel does not match with God's word. Jonadab has a number of warnings for us. We need to pay close attention to Jonadab because he's a profile of the man we should not listen to, even, even if he's family friend and member. Amnon takes Jonadab's counsel to pretend, to take the path of pretending. And whenever you pretend, what goes with pretending is also deceiving. In order for Amnon to start getting what he wants, he must engage in deceptive ways. So he pretends to be sick and asks David to send Tamar to him to cook for him. Friends, here's, a, here's another big clue about true, genuine love. True, genuine love does not work with deceptive ways. If you have to take the path of deception or of pretending in showing love for someone else, you're on the wrong track. You're going in the wrong direction. You're taking the path of pretense love. Genuine love does not go in the direction of pretending and deception. Husbands and wives, if you love your spouse, do not pretend. Do not speak deceptively. Do not engage in any kinds of deception. If you have taken the path of deception in order to pursue love, watch out. You are self-deceived in your pursuit of that love. If you must hide the truth in order to pursue love, you are going in the wrong direction. David deceives, I'm sorry, Amnon deceives David in this pursuit of so-called love. And when the, when the events unfold with him and Tamar in the chamber, Amnon is refusing to listen to Tamar's warnings and pleas. When Amnon finally gets alone with Tamar in his bedroom, he reveals his true intention. And Tamar quickly realizes what Amnon really wants. So she pleads with him. And the only one in the story that speaks according to God's will is Tamar. Tamar warns Amnon of the foolishness, of the outrageousness of what he wants to do. She says to him, do not do this outrageous thing in verse 12. Then Tamar appeals to Amnon's pity not to shame her and bring upon her such horrible and outrageous reproach and shame. And then Tamar appeals to Amnon's future reputation that he will be viewed as one of the outrageous fools in Israel in verse 13. But Amnon refuses to listen to sound counsel and to godly pleas. And this is what sin does to us. It causes us to stop listening to the godly counsel and the godly pleas. We would rather listen to, to the, the wisdom of the, or the crafty wisdom of those who lead us astray, but we would not listen to those who want to stop us in our tracks. 
and Amnon uses force to abuse sexually his half-sister. Verse 14, but he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Amnon became a sexual abuser, using his physical advantages to act hurtfully against his half-sister, to ignore her pleas, and to get what he wants, even if it meant hurting her. Friends, abusers use their power and advantages to dominate against someone else in hurtful ways that diminish the other person's freedom and well-being. If anyone among us is experiencing any forms of abuse, whether it is sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, or spiritual abuse, please come talk to the elders. Reality is that even among those who claim to belong to the people of God, abuse sadly can happen. Abuse sadly does happen. Here is David's royal family. Would you like to be a part of David's royal family? It happened. It happened in the places that one least thought possible. Sin is wicked. Sin distorts. Sin distorts our loves, our desires in ways that causes us to, lead, to act hurtfully against other bearers of God's image. Reality is that there's abuse even among those who claim the name of God upon them. And we need to be aware of it. When it happens, we should not turn a blind eye to it. So if you've been on the receiving side of abuse, don't stay silent. Bring it up. And we as a, as a people of God need to be ready to hear and process and come alongside and confront and respond with righteousness and justice. Amnon not only abused his half-sister, but when the act was over, Amnon turned his love to hatred. Verse 15, then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Love, Amnon's so-called love, turned to hatred. It wasn't love in the first place. This is as if the narrator is sort of putting, speaking with irony about Amnon's love. This was not love in the first place. It was lust and selfish desires. There was no concern here for Tamar's well-being, only for self-fulfillment. And now Amnon casts Tamar away, commanding his servant not only to send Tamar away, but even to bolt the door behind her. 
it's as if Amnon is trying to present the situation that Tamar is a dangerous one and that he needs to protect himself from her. How wicked. It's likely that Amnon tried to present the situation as if Tamar is the one who made advances on him and he was the victim. Oh, friends, here we see the abuser playing the victim card. How wicked. How wicked. But the reality is that abusers will often try to play the victim card. That's what abusers do. It's common practice for abusers. They will seek to reframe their stories of their abuse of others as if they are the ones in danger and needing protection. We need to be careful and not to be falling for the pretense of the abusers, pretending that they are actually the victims. Pretense goes through this story. And finally, Tamar leaves Amnon's house full of shame, of crying, tearing her, tearing her robe as a public act of shame. Verse 19, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore and she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. She's not going away quietly. She cannot contain the horrific things that have taken place with her. And when Absalom sees her, he, he understands what has happened. In the last words we hear of Tamar in the Bible are in verse 20. This is the last we hear about Tamar in the Bible. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Tamar would remain desolate, as far as we know, for the rest of her life. How sad that a king's daughter has been treated this way. Not even the royal family would be a safe place anymore because the one who acted in the sinful way was one of the king's sons and by the way Amnon he was David's firstborn naturally he was the one assumed to be the successor of David's kingdom to grow into the role of of being the king the protector of God's people. The man who has been expected to be the, the one to take the, the mantle from David's hand when it was time for the succession. And yet he is acting in such horrible, destructive, shameful, and wicked ways. And what did David do when he heard all these things? Verse 21 when David heard all of these things, he was very angry. He was right for David to be angry. It was good for David to be angry. The problem was, that is all he did. There's nothing else in David besides being angry. There are no actions 
taken to confront the abuser, to cut off from the face of the earth. The abuser, as God's law demanded. No action was taken to protect Tamar or to provide for her. It had to be Absalom who would become Tamar's protection. Where was Tamar's father? Where was he? That not even his house would be a, the place for Tamar's safety. David did nothing to bring justice to the situation. Selfish love hurts others and then turns to hatred. And David did nothing to confront that pretense love, that sinful act, that abusive act, leaving his daughter as a desolate woman in the house of her brother. That's the first part of teaching us that pretense sin has tragic consequences. But it doesn't stop here. The second story in the chapter continues the story of pretense, the pretense of silence that hides hatred. We see this in the, in the second part of the story, the second story of this chapter, verses 23 to 39. Absalom's response was not any better either. He chose a path of hatred. We're told that from the very beginning. But externally, Absalom decided to stop talking to Amnon. Amnon uh, Absalom gave the impression that... Uh, he just withdrew from Amnon. Absalom gave Amnon the silent treatment. There was no arguments. There's no verbal conflict between Absalom and Amnon. But don't think that this lack of interaction was a good sign. It wasn't. For two years, these two brothers have not talked to each other. Now, there are many reasons why people may stop talking to each other today. Sometimes it may just be because of busyness. We just don't have time to talk to each other. Sometimes we just part ways, going in opposite directions, and there's just no opportunity for us to interact with each other anymore. But this silence in this chapter was not caused by any of these reasons. This was a silence of hatred. Hatred can be silent. Hatred can withdraw from interacting with others. And don't think that time was healing the wounds between these two brothers. Sometimes we hear the phrase, time will heal the wounds. Sometimes. At other times, it doesn't. At other times, the passing of time actually makes things worse, especially when the silence is a silence of hatred that has taken root in our hearts. Absalom's quiet hatred was brewing inside him like a small fire. David, on the other side, he's passive. 
He did nothing for two years. Nothing regarding what Amnon did to his sister. And after two years, seeing David, his father, do nothing, Absalom finally takes matters in his own hands. He decides to take vengeance on his own brother. And notice Absalom's approach. He pretends he wants to have a party. He pretends it's time to celebrate. It's time to be joyful. It's time to bring the family together. Let's have a get-together with the family. So he makes the plans to invite everybody in the family, the king included. Absalom invites David for fellowship together at his house. But David refuses. And Absalom insists on making sure that this party happens. And even if David doesn't come, Absalom is insistent enough to make sure that David gives his blessing for this party and gives a blessing for Amnon to come to the party. Now David picks up. Why Amnon? Why should he come to the party? He, he's thinking. Something is weird. Why must Amnon be at the party? But perhaps he thought, oh, two years have passed. Time has gone. Those old wounds now should be, should be healed. So after insisting, David gives his blessing to send Amnon and his sons at this party. For the second time in this chapter, David is oblivious to the deception that his children are playing on him. The party was not a party for celebration. It was a party for vengeance. To take vengeance in his own hands against Amnon in front of all his family. Because David had failed to act justly. Oh friends, the pretense of sin, pretending that everything is okay, when in reality our hearts are intent and filled with evil. If Amnon pretended to love Tamar, Absalom's silence pretended that he was good and ready to have a party. He was not. He was ready to have a massacre. He was ready to commit murder. But it was all a pretense. It was all the facade. And David fell for it. When did Absalom's sinful response start? When did Absalom's sinful response to the situation start? We might say, well, it started when the party started and when he made, gave the command to uh, kill Amnon as he commanded his servants. But this chapter gives us a different answer. Look at what Jonadab says to David when David heard the rumor that all the sons were killed. Jonadab says, oh, David, no, it's not all your sons that were killed. It was just one guy. It was just Amnon who was killed. Look at Jonadab's answer in verse 32. For by the command of Absalom, this had been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. When did Absalom's sinful response start? From the day 
he determined to act this way. This act was determined two years earlier, even if it was carried out at the time it's written here in the chapter. Perhaps we understand now the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, you have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It's not merely the act of killing that is exposed here, but also the heart of anger and hatred. And even if it does not lead to murder, but if it leads to hating others, to insulting others, to be sinfully angry with others, it's the same path. As one Bible teacher put it beautifully, we are very bad at dealing with sinfulness. Absalom saw the sinfulness that his half-brother committed against his sister. Absalom saw the, the passivity of his father and the sinful passivity of his father with the situation. So what does Absalom do? He takes things in his own hands. Vengeance. We don't know how to respond rightly to the sinfulness of others. David had not responded rightly by remaining passive. He failed to act justly towards his own children. He failed to, failed to discipline his children. And when public correction was called for, David acted much like Eli, the priest, at the beginning of 1 Samuel. He knew about the sin of his children, but he did nothing to bring justice to what, he, what they have done. Let me speak here to fathers and mothers. Let's not confuse love for our children with indulgence and letting our children do all that they desire. Do we practice, do you practice discipline with your children according to God's ways, to God's word? Loving our children well does not mean letting them do what they want. Children, let me speak to you. God gave you parents and gave them instructions in his word about how to raise you. And when your parents use their authority to not let you do what you want to do, that is a gift from God that in the moment you will hate. And that's understandable because of our sinful nature. But mom and dad... Your mom and your dad love you and want to stop you from doing what is wrong in God's eyes. Receive that. Obey them. This is God's gift to you for the season. David did not do so with his children. He gave in to the request of his children, completely oblivious to the wickedness that was going on in them. Perhaps David thought, my kids are better than that. Perhaps we need to be mindful, parents, that our children 
carry in them the sinful nature that they have inherited from us. So let's lead them and care for them and discipline them as God has revealed to us in his word. David did not respond rightly by remaining passive. Absalom did not respond rightly either. It was not right for Absalom to take vengeance against his brother in such deceptive and hateful ways. The irony of these two tragic events is that they mirror David's own sins. Sexual immorality and murder. Where David sins in chapter 11. And now we see these two sins carried out in David's own family. Friends, we must consider these events as part of the consequences of sin that David committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah. This is what happens when God leaves us to taste the temporal consequences of our sinful hearts. Part of the judgment of God against us is to let us experience the temporal consequences of our sin. To experience a sting of sin, even if for David... God had taken that sin away, has covered it. God decreed as God's consequential judgment, temporal judgment, that even, if, even though David's sin was covered and taken away, there would be lifelong consequences for David. And we would rather skip over those consequences. This chapter is an unfolding of what God decreed that would happen against David's, David from his own family. When God decreed to allow the evil of sin to play out its natural consequences. Oh friends, God leaves us to the foolishness of our own minds and hearts so that we can experience the ugliness and the sting of the consequences of sin in our own lives. This pattern of allowing the experience of, of the sting of sin shows up in the New Testament, in the book of Romans in particular. Remember how the book of Romans started? When the rebellion of mankind was put on display, listen to, to how Romans 1 unfolds that for us. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. How amazing it catches the same pattern with Jonadab. The wise, a very wise guy who uses his wisdom to act against God's ways. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. This is the commentary, the New Testament commentary on 2 Samuel 13. Because when we rebel against God, our maker, and exchange him from an idol with an idol, when we replace God 
with something that our hearts want, God says, go at it. See where it leads. And chapter 13 is a picture of where that path leads. We must be warned against it. And in, in Romans 1, it goes on to describe the various consequences. I'm not going to read them all. You can read it on your own, but let me just read some more verses, the end of the chapter. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so it all starts with a, a wrong relationship with God, here are the consequences. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless ruthless. These are just the consequences of the mind and the heart that has rebelled against God and wants to replace God with our own desires. In a similar way, the two awful sins in, in 2 Samuel 13 are the outflow of the consequences of God letting David taste the outflow, the path of his sinful actions back in chapter 11. David in this chapter poses as a passive parent, but the reality is it is actually his sins that brought about all this mess. David is reaping what he has sown, acting in his sinful flesh. And this is only the beginning of the consequences of sin that God determined for David to experience in his family life. Friends, the pretense of sin has tragic consequences. The pretense of sin has tragic consequences. Selfish love hurts others, then turns hatred, turns love into hatred. The pretense of silence that acts politely for a while with others actually hides hatred. If we try to deal with our sinfulness in our own terms, on our own terms, in our own power, things will not get any better. They will only get worse. When we try to fix sins and the sins of others in our wisdom, in our strength, it will only go worse. Friends, we must come to God as sinners. He alone, He alone can free us from the bondage of sin. There's no other way. Let's pray. Father, the word we have heard this morning is a hard reality of the tragic and outrageous consequences of sin. Father, we confess that oftentimes we fall for the pretense of sin, 
for pretending, for, for hiding, for doing things to others that are sinful, even though we hide it behind some polite manners. Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our sin. Have mercy on our rebellious hearts. Bring us to yourself. Cause your spirit to overcome any rebelliousness in us. And give us the grace to turn to Jesus, to turn to you, to come to you as sinners. We need this, Father, because you alone can free us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.